Thank you, Joanne. Well, this morning we are in our fifth or sixth week of our 40 days of prayer. And so this message comes with a, a good amount of connection to the themes of what we are going through right now as a church. The 40 days of prayer are for us as a family and as a body to seek God's will regarding a future church home as we hope to find our own building in some day soon. But we need to have God's will be done in this as well. And so we've been praying for the last five weeks um, prayers that would help us to draw close together as a family of God. And so right now, I want us to join together in reading the scripture. If you have your bulletin, you'll have the yellow sheet in there. It'll also be up on the screen of Revelation 21.5 and then the prayer that will follow right after. So you can do either one. You can read from your prayer sheet and remember to read it each day and pray each day, or you can read off the screen. But let us read this together and pray this together. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let us pray. Dear faithful one, you are ruler over all. You are making everything new. Though our eyes are clouded by the chaos that we see around us, you are working in ways that we cannot imagine. Help us to see what you are doing in our church and help us to be faithful to your call. Help us not to miss the opportunity of what you have in store because you promise to make all things new in your trustworthy name. Amen and amen. God indeed is always making all things new. The Bible also tells us that we are a new creation and that God is consistently and continually making us new. Prayer is the lifeblood of that creation. It sends to our body throughout this body all the nutrients, all the energy, all the oxygen, so that we can grow as a body of Christ. And as Dwayne said, we need to pray for each other as the body of Christ. If you have also um, in your bulletin the outline, you'll notice that there's a little goldenrod um, memory stick there or a little bookmark for you. I'd like you just to pull that off. And uh, would you read it with me? Because this is the theme of today's message. Okay, so it's on this there. Let us read this together. I am a church member. I will pray for my pastors every day. I understand that the pastor's work is never-ending. His days are filled with numerous demands that bring emotional highs and lows. He must deal with critics. He must be a good husband and father. Likewise, I will pray for our elders, deacons, and church leaders. Because our pastors and leaders cannot do all things in their own power, I will pray for their strength and wisdom daily. So this is the challenge, this is the conclusion, this is the purpose of today's message, is to remind us and to encourage us and to exhort us to pray for our church leaders. And it begins by, in this memory, to pray for our pastors. And as Ben, I'm sorry, as Dwayne was saying, that some of us may feel like we are just um, a fingernail. But when he said that, I felt like I am the itch. Um, that's sort of what I felt like, because I'm a very needy person. Right? I'm, I'm always feeling like I need somebody to scratch my back, and I won't scratch yours. Um, and so it's like, oh, man, I'm so needy. And so, Dwayne, that was a good introduction. Um, because I am needy, all right? But what do I need 
It's not that much different than what you need. But what I also need is not that much different than what all of our church leaders need. In particular, as we talk about it today, our elders and our deacons, as well as our staff, our pastors. And so I want you to think about it right now and just for a moment and just turn to a neighbor and, and ask and talk to them and answer this question. What are things that our church leaders need to have the body pray for, for them? Okay, so what are things that our church leaders, our pastors, elders, and our deacons need for you to be praying for, for us? Okay, because we're needy. So, so, so talk about that, and then I'm going to ask for you to share some of your answers. Go ahead. Okay, very good. So what are some things that we need you to pray for us about? So just say it out loud. Over here? What? Encouragement. Very good. We need encouragement. So pray for us to have encouragement. What else? Wisdom. Wisdom. Absolutely. Especially like when we're making decisions. We need wisdom. When I'm preparing messages, I need wisdom from God, not human ingenuity. Hey, what else? Energy, that's right. It takes a lot of energy to serve. And, and, and as a deacon, one of the things that I so appreciate about our elders and our deacons is they're not people who do ministry full-time. They have other full-time jobs. They work 50, 60 hours a week, and then they serve and the church, for the church. So they need a lot of energy. What else? How about on this side? Patience, right, because we have to work with each other, right? <laughs> You know, we need patience. We have to work with people, right? And so we need a lot of patience and perseverance. What else? They're kids. They're kids, that's right. <laughs> because some of us have really bad kids, all right? Uh, that was my son who said that, just in case you didn't know, all right? And what else? What? Courage. courage, that's right. You know, it takes a lot of courage to lead. And the last song that Jerry led us in, Oceans, to walk out on the water, to go to places, and to say things that aren't necessarily popular, to speak the truth, but the truth in love, to have courage, to have faith, to go to places that otherwise we may not want to go, to say something different than what other people might think. What else do we need? Protection. Thank you. Thank you, Holly. Protection from spiritual warfare that God has to help us because we are in a spiritual battle. Every one of us is, right? We have an enemy, and our scriptures talk about that today. He's setting traps for the leader. Every leader has a trap that's set in front of him or her. One more. Anyone else? Passion for the Lord, love for the Lord. That's our final point for today. We're going to talk about that. Our life with Christ, our love for Jesus. There's so much that we need you to pray for us about. And we as leaders need to be praying for you for the same things. 
But today the focus is going to be on what is it that you can pray for the leader's life. And the first thing is to pray for their interior life, for their interior life. Let me read for you verses 2 and 3 again from 1 Timothy chapter 3. It says, Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. The role of a pastor, of an elder, and of a deacon is very rigorous. God expects us to be people above reproach. God expects us to be people you can respect, but we are not perfect. In fact, we are far from perfect. And probably the strongest leaders realize how very imperfect they are. But they still have a standard by which God holds us to. There is still qualities. There are still virtues. There are still biblical requirements of what this overseer must be. The word overseer can also be translated bishop. And so this is the work that we do as leaders. A bishop is a spiritually mature man who has wisdom and experience to guide other people. It is synonymous also with the word elder in the Bible. An elder just means an old man. <laughs> Daryl and Glenn are elders in our church, just to put it into context. And a pastor in the Bible is also an elder. And so we in our church have a plurality of elders, with Pastor Jerry and myself as elders, with Glenn and with Daryl, and with the deacons that serve us. We're going to understand today what is it that you need to be praying for, for them so that you are well served, so that the world will know that Jesus Christ is Lord. So that the world will know that there is hope in this world. So that the world will know that there is another world where the fullness of hope will be fulfilled. And it begins by living a life of blamelessness or being above reproach. And the elders are told to take this upon themselves and it means that they are to not have fault. That they are to be pure and that they are to be faithful. And there is to be nothing that is blameful about them so that somebody could attack them and speak about them in an evil way in which that same way might be true. And so to live above reproach, there are certain qualities that are part of that. And there's a whole list of them. Paul says they must be temperate. That means they must be sober in their minds. They must avoid excesses. They must be free from all forms of addictions, whether it be wine or alcohol, whether it be video games or technology, whether it be golf or fishing. They must be temperate. They cannot be addicted to anything that controls them so that they would not be a good example to their flock. They must also be self-controlled which means that they are to have sound and sensible judgment. They are to be serious, but doesn't mean they can't have a sense of humor. They are to be able to know joy and be able to share that joy, but to do it in such a way that is under self-control and not excessive. 
They are to be respectable. That means to have good behavior. They are to be hospitable. And the word literally means loving the stranger. Loving the stranger. In those days, Christians particularly would travel from town to town and need a place to stay. And they were expected to be able to stay at a fellow brother or sister's home, even if they didn't know them yet. They were to be hospitable to strangers. They were to bring them into their home and care for them and love them. God also wants them to be those who avoid drunkenness. And wine, of course, was a very common drink of that day, even, probably even more so than water, since wine would be more clean. And so they had to be careful not to overindulge. They were to be gentle and not violent. And then, in light of that, they were not to be quarrelsome. That's like to be looking for a fighter, to be contentious. They are not to be overly motivated by the pursuit of money or wealth, not a lover of money. And this doesn't mean that they can't be rich. Some of the, the most famous and some of the most helpful and some of the most useful Christians in the world by, used by God are people who are endowed by God with great wealth. Abraham was an extremely wealthy man. Job was a very wealthy man. God used different people in different ways who had lots of money, but the money was used for the glory of God. So it doesn't mean you can't be a good businessman or can't acquire a lot of wealth, but that wealth is to be used for God's glory. God wants us to have a strong interior life in this way. And this is what the elders, the overseers, the bishops, the pastors, the staff needs to have. Now, the Bible also talks about what deacons need. And so that was sort of the second half of our verses there. And so you can see up there um, the deacons in verses 8 and 11. It speaks of deacons and, and I believe deaconesses as well. And so in verse 8, it says deacons likewise, so just like the elders, deacons are to be men worthy of respect. So in the same way that the elder was to be worthy of respect because he was irreproachable, in the same way deacons are to not be people of reproach, but rather people you can respect. The word deacon is the word diakonos. It's the same word that you can tell. It has the same sound, and it means servant. It means somebody who waits on tables. And Jesus did that. He waited upon the people. He was a deacon to the people. He served them. He cared for them. And so a deacon has a very respectable job, a very important role in the church. So much so that it says that what deacons are to be are to be men worthy of respect. They are to live a life in which they are respectable and they are also sincere. There are to be men and women who are sincere. And the word sincere means to not be double-tongued. A sincere person is not somebody who tells a different story than other people. They are sincere and real in life. And so they are respected because of the quality of their personhood. We see that in verse 8. And then in verse 11... We see these words, which are interpreted in many different ways. But it says, in our NIV Bible, it says, in the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. 
And so this is where there's a certain debate and certain um, theologians come on different sides of this debate about what is Paul talking about in verse 11. Um, many people believe that there is a parallel between verse 8 and verse 11. Because Greek, in the Greek Bible, um, it says, deacons likewise be respectful. Here in verse 11, the Greek also says just simply, women likewise be respectful. So there's a certain parallel there. The NIV Bible and others interpret it by adding the possessive pronoun there to their wives. Because those people who fall on that side of the interpretation trail see that there is a parallel between the deacons and then the deacons' wives. And so it's assuming then, because it says deacons are to be men worthy of respect, then in verse 11, it would seem to make sense to say, in the same way, their wives are to be women worthy of respect. So that's the second way of looking at it. And then the third way is just simply looking at it literally where it just says woman. Uh, so verse 11 literally says women worthy respect. Okay. Um, but it would seem odd if Paul was talking about elders, deacons, and suddenly he just talks about all women. All right? It would almost seem like he's sort of judging them and stereotyping them because he says they are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers. Right? So would Paul just be talking to women about not being malicious talkers and ignore the men? Um, would he not want women to also have the same qualities that men have and men to have the same qualities that women have? And so because of that, I believe that the parallelism between the verses 8 and 11 indicates that Paul is talking about the third way in which it can be translated, and that is deaconesses. Deaconesses. So it would simply say in verse 11, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect. And then in the Greek, it says, what deaconesses likewise be worthy of respect or be women of worthy of respect. So God has given to us an opportunity to look here at the qualities, whether they are women and men or just men, but the qualities of what these leaders are to have. Now, in our church, we have deacons and we have deaconesses. And not just because of these verses that we try to interpret in a certain way so that it would qualify women to serve, but also in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, where it's very clear. In Romans chapter 16, verse 1, it says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon in the church of Centria. Okay, and so the same word that's used in 1 Timothy chapter 3 for deacon is the same word used in, first, in Romans chapter 16, verse 1 for Phoebe, who was a female deaconess in the church of Centria. And so God has given to us this need to be praying for our leaders, for these qualities, for them to be people who are worthy of respect by not being malicious talkers, by being tempered and trustworthy, and all the other qualities that we've listed. And so there's five ways that we can be praying for our leaders today. And the first one is you could just simply look around and know who is one of your elders, who is one of your deacons, and say, Dear Lord, please help. You can just put in the name to be and then any one of these. Help them to be temperate. Help them to be wise or help them to be self-controlled. Help them to be respectable. Help them not to be addicted to anything. And so we could pray for them in that way for their interior life. 
The second place that Paul would say that we should pray for our leaders is in their home life, in their family life. Because their home life is to be a model of what the church life is supposed to be. God wants us to be proud of our families. God wants us to be proud of our children. God wants us to be proud of our church. And God wants our church to be proud of our leadership. And for that to happen, the leaders need to have a healthy home life. And so we read in verse 2 that the husband, okay, so this elder, he must be the husband of but one wife, right? He is, in verse 4, to manage his own family well and to see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? And then in verse 12, as it speaks about deacons, it says a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and household well. And so this is a very important part of our family as a church. It is the family of our leaders, and we need to pray for them. We need to care about them. We need to love them. We need to be sure that, that we are helping them so that their families can do their best. We need to not be pulling them away to meeting after meeting after meeting from their families so that they can't be there with them. We try very hard in our leadership to have the meetings at a certain time within a certain time frame so that our deacons aren't away from their homes for too long. And so that they have a once-a-month meeting, which usually starts at 7 p.m., in which they try to end by 10 p.m. And so three hours of a monthly meeting. The elders meet once a month, beginning at 7 p.m., and we try to end by 11 p.m., okay? Because there's a little bit more there for us as we think and talk and pray. But we have these meetings in the life of the church, and we still try, and we, we move them around. The elders have a, a monthly prayer meeting, and we... We try to move it around to fit the schedules of Daryl's and Glennon for their family and for their children. And so it moves around in different time zones so that we can do it in such a way that hopefully they still care for their families. And so we make the effort to try to not take the leadership away from their family, but we still need them because we are the family of God. And to the families who sacrifice their fathers and their mothers so that they can go out and serve, to sacrifice their husbands and the wives so they go on their serve, there is an eternal reward awaiting for you as well. But God wants us to understand that our family life and our home lives are interrelated and that a husband has to be a good husband to also be a good elder or a deacon. A woman has to be a good wife and a good mother to be a good deaconess. And so God has overlapped so that we can be able to see indeed that we are a family and that we are strong as a family in our homes when we leave here and then when we come into the house of God. And so the second prayer that you can pray for any of the church leaders is, Dear Lord, please help whatever name you want to put in there in her, her family to do this. And maybe you know something of their life. Help them in their illnesses. Help them in their finances. Help them in their time. Help them with their children. Help them in their work. Help them in their faith. You can pray for their home life. The third place that Paul would have us to be praying for our, our families, I'm saying for our church family and for their leaders, is in their church life, where they serve here when we come together, not just on Sunday, but throughout the month, how we serve the church in different ways. 
And so we see in verse 2 that one of the ways that the overseers has to serve the church is that an overseer must be able to teach. An overseer must be able to teach. It doesn't mean they have to be able to preach, okay? But it does mean that they have to be able to sit down with somebody else and open up the Word of God to them, to help them be able to understand it. In Titus chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says this of the, of the elders. He says, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message just as it had been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And so God would have the elders to be able to teach. Some are able to preach. Many are able to lead a Bible study, but all must be able to sit down with another person and open up the scriptures to them, explain it to them, and help them to grow. We are always growing in the knowledge of the scriptures. We are always being tested and always being challenged. This past week, um, one of our members um, asked me a question of interpretation um, of the Bible, and, and the question was related to judgment, and are Christians supposed to judge other people? And so they brought up some different scriptures to me where they said in Matthew, you know, you're not supposed to judge and you're not supposed to take the speck out of your brother's eye until you take the log out of your own. And they said, but how come in Revelation it says that we are going to rule and we're going to judge the world and we're going to even judge angels. So how do you put those two together? How come we're going to judge in eternity, but we're not supposed to judge here on earth? And she asked me that question and I said, I don't know. (laughs) That's a really, really good question. And I didn't know the answer. And she's in a Bible study, and she's saying, Pastor Curtis, you know, can you help me here? And so, you know, I didn't say, well, why don't you Google it? Um, <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do some research, I'll study, and I'll, I'll try to give you an answer. And so I did. I had to sit down, and I had to study, and I had to find the answers that I thought were pertinent to her questions, to the scriptures that she was bringing to me. And then I, I sent it back to her for her study. We're always being challenged as pastors. We, we should never stop growing. I hope the best sermon I ever preach in my life is the one right before I die. That God would help us. We should be getting better at all that we do. We should continue to grow, continue to be strong. And so it says there in verse 6, you know, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. And so our leaders, our elders, they're not supposed to be brand new Christians. They're supposed to be leaders who've been Christians for a while, who have become mature, who have become stable, who have deep roots in God's word, who are able to teach and to know sound doctrine, so much so that they could refute somebody who has bad doctrine, who doesn't know the word of God. And to not be a a new believer because even if they were very gifted, even if they're very willing, even if they're very sincere, the danger is that a young Christian given too much responsibility and then being successful in that responsibility could become conceited. And so Paul says, you know, you've got to be careful and, and not put this newly excited believer into places of leadership because they may become, and literally conceited means wrapped in smoke. So their head is just so like covered in smoke. And so God would say, don't do that. You know, we might say their head is in the clouds. You know, we, we have to be careful. We need long-term believers who are strong and healthy in the Lord to serve the church. 
so that there is spiritual maturity in the leadership that, that bleeds out into spiritual maturity into the church. And then in verse 9, Paul talks about the consequence or the results of what happens when we do this. And says, they must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then if there is anything against them, let them serve now as deacons. So, so here we have the qualities. Whatever you read about deacons, that also definitely pertains to elders. In fact, some people believe that what these verses also teach is that you must first be a deacon because you have to be proven, and then you can be an elder. And actually, that's been true. All of our elders have been deacons at one point in time. In fact, all of our elders have been board chairmen of the deacons at one time. We, didn't, we don't plan that. It's not in the bylaws. It's just worked out that way because they've been proven as deacons so that now they are seen to be qualified as elders. And so even deacons, so not just elders. So if you're a deacon, even deacons need to have a faith that goes into the deep truths of God's word. And they must also have a clear conscience. So in other words, they've sincerely studied the word of God and it's beginning to permeate their life. And they've also been tested. And then if there's nothing against them, now they can serve as deacons. Every one of us is tested. But here the word it means is that the deacons have been tested in such a way that we've seen their leadership, we've seen the quality of their life, we've seen their family life, we've seen them with the word of God. They've been tested and now they're able to serve. But I also think it includes the reality that they've also been tested in the trials of life. They've been tested like by fire because that's what the word tested means. It means to find out the quality of, of a coin by subjecting it to heat and just seeing if it melts or seeing how it reacts to the heat, to the very point of melting, where they're almost about to melt, but they, they stay it together. They've been tested. Now, all of us will go through that. All of us are going to be tested in some way. And you know, we don't have a choice about that. Trials are going to come. Problems are going to happen. This is just a reality of life. And we don't like it. But we need to be praying for our elders. We need to be praying for our deacons. Because right now they're all being tested even as they serve. Just as we know you are being tested right now in your life. Maybe if you're not a deacon, you're not an elder yet. Maybe the test that you're going through right now is that test that's preparing you to become a deacon or an elder. We don't like it. If we were to pray, just sincerely, we say, God, you know, please take away the trials. God, please take away the problems. But the reality is that God wants us to embrace those problems. God wants us to accept the test and study for it. God wants us to be ready for it. I heard a story this, this past month about, um, it's just a, a legend type story. Um, and it's about a man who um, went, at, went to God, and, and he asked God if, if he could help God. And he was just a peasant, and he said, you know, and he was a farmer, and he said, God, I'd like to help you um, by being in charge of nature so that we can have a better crop, because I've been a farmer all my life, and I know what we need. So God, could I help you? Would you let me be in charge of nature? And God said, okay, we'll try that experiment out. Go ahead. 
And so God gave them the power. And so when it was a sunny day and they needed a little bit more rain for the crops, the, the farmer said, you know, let it rain. And a light rain might fall. And after it rained enough, he said, now let there be sunshine. And, and there was sunshine. And the skies would be bright. And they said, oh, now it's too hot. Lord, would you, would you cool it down? And so it would cool down and then get too cold. And they said, well, let, let's warm it up a little bit. We need a little bit more rain. So let it rain a little bit harder. Now stop. Okay, and so after a couple seasons of the year, the, the farmer was ready, and it was the time of harvest, as it is right now, and he went out into the fields, and to his surprise, and to his shock, oh, the harvest was terrible. In fact, it was a complete failure. There was very little fruit. The grain wasn't healthy. The fruit trees weren't blooming. There was nothing available for the people to eat, and he was very confused, and he was very upset because he thought, you know, he had given the plants the perfect weather to grow, and they didn't grow. And so he went back to God, and he said, what went wrong? What happened here, God? I thought I was doing a good job. And God said this to him, you asked for what you wanted, but in reality, that wasn't what was needed. You never asked for a storm. And those are necessary to cleanse the sowing of the seed, to scare away the birds and animals that destroy it, and to purify it from the pestilence that are very, very destructive. Do you ever pray for a storm? Well, the good news is you don't have to. Because <laughs> they are just going to happen. What we need to pray is that we will stay in the storm. There are going to be tests in our lives. And God knows the right time for them to purify us, to prepare us, to cleanse us, to make it so that we will be able to grow more and grow deeper and grow stronger and produce a crop for the church his church, for the people, his people, for the body, his body, that we might become a stronger, healthier, and spirit-filled people. And so our third prayer could be this, dear Lord, please help, put any leader's name there, to be whatever they need as they serve the church through whatever ministry they may have. The fourth place that we need to pray for our leaders is in their public life. In verse 7, the Bible says, He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. We mentioned that earlier in the beginning. We must pray for our leaders because they live a very public life before you and before the world. And it is a terrible, terrible thing when a leader falls. And we hear about it far too often, about a pastor or a church leader falling into some form of immorality and disgracing the church. And those were traps that the devil had set for them and they fell into them. Those very traps are being set for all of your leaders right now. Any one of them are in danger. I am in danger of falling at any moment. And I need your prayers. 
We need to pray that God would protect our leaders and we need to pray for their public life so that they will be able to be strong, be bold while they're in the battle, while they're facing temptations, while they're fighting the different things in this world that are difficult. God would have us to be praying for them. Even Paul needed prayer, and we saw this, see this in other places of Scripture. But here in Romans chapter 15, 31 and 33, the Bible says, pray. Paul says, pray for me that I may be rescued from the unbelievers of Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. That God wants our leaders to, to be able to have joy, to come together with all the people and to be refreshed. But they're in danger and they need to be rescued and they need to be protected. And so we need you to pray for us. This fourth prayer, dear Lord, please protect and put all of our names in there from sin and harm as they work for whatever ministries they may have so that they can witness for you, both here and in the world, a witness and example to the flock, but a witness and evangelist in the world, that God would help us to have a good reputation in the world so that we can serve the Lord publicly and reveal Jesus to them. And that's our fifth point where we must pray for our leaders. And in so many ways, this is really the foundation point in on the culmination of their service as well. But there it says in verse 13, those who have served well, and that's including deacons and elders, those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. They gain an excellent standing. The word literally means a good purchase. Now this is a good acquisition. To be able to serve is a great investment for eternity. And even now on earth, we can have great respect and an excellent standing. We can live above reproach and we can have amazing assurance and boldness of our faith. Great assurance, it says, in their faith in Christ Jesus. A boldness to stand out, a boldness to speak, a boldness to be able to go where God leads. And God gives them the rewards of this excellent standing as well. It's not easy. We must serve as Jesus served. We must give as Jesus gives. We must love as Jesus loves. And we need you to be praying for us this Friday at 7.30 at Irvine Presbyterian Church. We need you to come and pray for us. We need the people of God. We've asked all of our elders and all of our deacons to come to the meeting this coming Friday so that you can pray for them. But also, we are going to pray for you. So if you have any special needs where you would like the leaders of the church to be praying for you, we're also going to be praying for you. So we're going to be doing it both ways on Friday night. We're going to have the people of the church praying for the leaders of the church, obeying these scriptures, and we're going to have the leaders of the church praying for the people of the church, obeying the scriptures. God wants us to be praying. God wants us so that we can serve like Jesus served in Luke chapter 22, verse 26. Jesus says, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? 
Is it not the one who is at the table? I am among you as one who serves. Jesus served as a deacon. The same word, diakonos, serves, serves, serves. God wants us to be like Jesus, to serve as he is, to love as he loves. And to do that, we must pray as he prayed. Every day. You know, I would ask you to pray for me every day. And I know, like, you know, how do I do that? Well, you know, whenever you think about me, pray for me. Now, I don't know how often you think about me, all right? Um, I remember this one pastor, he said, I used to worry so much about what people thought about me until I realized people didn't think about me much. <laughs> and, um, and so I don't know if you'll, you think about me or, or Jerry or Ben, but pray for us during the week as this is a reminder or any of the deacons. Now, there's a prayer there that is taken from the Bible, from the New Living Translation, and it's just a paraphrase of a prayer that Paul prayed for the church. And um, I'd like you to read this out loud with me. Right? And, and I've paraphrased it so that you could be praying for harvest as a church. Right? But it'll be on the screen, but it's also on your on your um, outline. Let's read it and, and read it as a prayer together. I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he may empower harvest with all strength through his spirit. I pray that Christ will make his home in our hearts as we trust in him. I pray that our roots will go down into God's love and keep us strong. And I pray we will have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is his love. I pray Harvest will experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. I pray Harvest will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'd like all the leaders, all the elders, and all the deacons that are here right now to stand up. And Jerry, stand up. Oh, you're over here. Okay. okay. okay these are our current um, elders and deacons, Darrow and Alfred, and Pat, Leslie, Juliet, Brian, Jerry, Yenting, Glenn, and myself. And now what I want to ask you to do is um, I'm going to ask you to stand around them. Okay, so there's a lot more people. I mean, there's more el deacons and elders over here. So you can just move around. Okay, just I want you just to stand around them. Right now, get around one of them. All right. Uh, bring, your, bring your notes with you. You'll need them. Okay. Stand around one of them. Not, not to be selfish, but um, some of you can stand around me too. Okay. 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 Thank you. Okay. Okay. Now I'd like all of the leaders to bow down.
to bow down. And for the rest, I'd ask you to pray this prayer over them using their name where the word harvest is. Okay, so where you see the word harvest, I'd like you just to put their name and say that prayer. Just read it over them right now and pray this in Jesus' name. You may begin. You may be seated. Go back to your seats. Thank you. I grew up in a church, spiritually grew up in a church that had Sunday morning service and had Sunday night services and had prayer meetings. And I always remember my pastor saying that... um, People who love the church um, will come on Sunday mornings uh, because they love the pastor. Uh, On Sunday nights, he would say, people who love to come to the church and come on Sunday night come because they just love the church. But he said to those people who come to prayer meeting and who love the church, he said it's because it is those people who love the church and those people who love the Lord. And I always remember that, that the prayers of the saints and the commitment that we have as a body of Christ includes a commitment to pray together, to pray for our leaders. We're going to be restarting the prayer circle. It used to be on a, a weekly basis. We're going to restart it. Um, in two weeks and two Wednesdays, I think it's November 4th. And it's going to be just once a month now that we're going to have as a prayer circle. And the hope is that being once a month, it won't be too hard for us to come. And it, it, it shouldn't be that way, but we realize this is where we just need to start. We hope it will grow back again. But we're going to start to a once a month prayer circle. The 40 days of prayer ends this Thursday. And it is very fitting that the very next day we will have a prayer fellowship, which is already scheduled months ago. And you can come on Friday night to the prayer fellowship and be prayed for as well as to pray for the leaders at Irvine Presbyterian Church at 730. 
And I strongly encourage you to make plans for those two things. To come on Friday to pray together because we love the Lord. And to make it a commitment to pray at Prayer Circle once a month because we love the Lord. If we are a people of prayer, we will see things happen in our midst and in the world around us that we've never seen happen before. But we must pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you have so reminded us and challenged us to pray, to seek your face, to know your ways and to walk in them, to communicate with you and to listen to you as well in obedience to your word. Lord, we pray, teach us how to pray, even as you taught your disciples. Help us, Lord, to pray so that we might truly be able to say, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.